You're listening to Get Woke Wellington, brought to you by the National Council of Women's Wellington branch. Call Prudence Tokuengua. Call Harita Tokuengua. Call Lily Tokuengua. Call Aisha Tokuengua. We're NCW branch members and your Get Woke Wellington hosts. This show allows the National Council of Women to support and inform what us Welly women want in our communities. We also want to raise awareness about the National Council of Women's activities and encourage your membership. You can visit our website or follow us on Facebook and Instagram to find out more. Kia ora everyone. I have with me here today Kat Wallace, the current Vice Chair of the Environment and Conservation Organizations, ECO for short. ECO is an environmental peak body with a with above 40 member organizations that includes a range of grassroots organizations working to conserve and protect the environment. Kat has been working to protect the environment uh, for decades and has been a significant part of ECO since the 1970s. She has been active in various environmental issues, both in New Zealand and internationally. In 1982, ECO picked up an invitation from the founder of the Antarctic and Southern Ocean Coalition, ASOC, James Barnes, and set up with Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth, the New Zealand arm of ASOC. Prominent in the campaign to overturn the Antarctic Treaty negotiations for rules uh, for mining in Antarctica and gained an environmental protocol with a ban on mining in Antarctica for over 50 years. With this co- collaborative campaign in 1991, she was awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize. This campaign is coming to its 40th anniversary and ECO is coming up to its 50th. She has also campaigned for an ecosystem-focused regime of management of human impacts on the marine environment. She researched the effects of New Zealand's fishery quota management system and pressed pressed the Ministry of Fisheries to stop violating its environmental responsibilities under the New Zealand Fisheries Act of 1996. She continues to advocate for the implementation of strong local environmental policies and practices and presses for urgent action in the climate crisis while restoring biodiversity through, throughout New Zealand. Kiora and welcome, Kath. Kiora, Kath, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I've understood that ECO has just hosted a co- webinar with James Shaw and um, this was to reflect on COP26 and what New Zealand has promised in the emissions reductions plan. And we, and I understand ECO wanted to get answers around um, real actions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, indeed. I mean, the climate issue has been around again for, for many years and ECO has been prominent in trying to get people to pay attention to the science and the urgent need to change our whole way of living really to to disconnect from fossil fuels and to reduce agricultural emissions as well as the various other things like um, some of the other gases. Um, And when James came back, people were quite concerned that he had noted that when New Zealand joined the methane agreement to try and cut back methane, he then announced that actually cutbacks and rearrangements of our emissions reduction plan would not apply to New Zealand. So people were very, very concerned. And we had a very vigorous time with him and Tiana, who was a Pacifica um, and Indigenous person who was um, campaigning there at COP, um, and Cindy Baxter, who is um, 
from the Coal Action Network uh, Aotearoa, which is actually one of New Zealand, uh, one of ECO's member bodies, and there was a lot of interest in what James had to say. He was stressing that you know the the COP hadn't got anywhere near where we needed to go, um, but then he seemed to, to some extent, endorse New Zealand thinking it could accept itself from uh, taking further action. So we had a vigorous discussion, I think you could say. Uh, lots of questions, many of which we had to pass on to his office so that, because we didn't get through them all. Um, and we'll be looking for the answers to that. But the essence of it is, is that New Zealand's um, emissions reduction plan is absolutely not adequate. And it really kicks the can down the road and saying we won't uh, reduce all of our emissions to the extent that everyone else agreed to. What we'll do is buy credits from the rest of the world. That looks on the face of it a perfectly reasonable thing to do, but it's not because it means that we keep um, letting our economy and our society drift into this high fossil fuel using and high methane from dairy um, structure and and we're just not adjusting to um, reduced use of fossil fuels and reduce methane that we should and it's going to cost us big time it's going to cost New Zealand billions of dollars when we could be that's for buying credits when we could be investing that and reducing our emissions and it's um kind of slack and lazy but it's also extremely dangerous for the planet. So we do have to change and uh, everyone needs to pressure the entire government, not just James, to actually get busy. And we have to help people adjust if they're going to lose their jobs or what have you. And uh, we need to hot stand up and face up to the really big vested interests and say, no, you shouldn't be getting these free emissions um, in the way the government has been giving them to you, whether you're agriculture or whether you're some of the big industries. And there's about 15 really big emitters, and they seem to have the government um, by the short and curlies, and they're not, in fact, um, making the effort to reduce their emissions, and it's got to stop. Do you think if we do, because uh, we're wanting to stay on track for 2030 as our deadline to reduce our emissions, and if we, as you say, we don't buy credits from uh, in the overseas and actually take actions for reducing emissions in, in within the country, do you think we will still be on track to meet that deadline? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, we can we can spend lots of money that would be far better spent on restoring biodiversity and looking after schools and health, uh, we can spend it on buying credits from somewhere else, but we'd be far better to adjust our economy and our society and our own behavior to actually keep permanent reductions. And um, do you think that it, would be by 2050? Do you think that's where the realistic timeline is for us? Well, I mean, New Zealand has um, five-year um, emissions budgets that the Climate Change Commission has um, been setting. Now, even the Climate Commission has been too relaxed and too, um, 
too unwilling, I think, to get out there and really kick home the, the necessity to take action. Um, the government is even more sluggish and we have to keep meeting a whole lot of these budgets um, 2025, 2030, 2035. Um, but the planet can't wait and New Zealand can't go on uh, taking refuge in the idea that we're just little and therefore we don't need to do much. It's not on. Yeah. Um, let me move a little bit more into uh, what you've been working a little in the fisheries environment as well. And um, I know that Eco had a stance on this before where uh, New Zealand fisheries is not necessarily sustainable. Um, can you speak to us a little bit more about where does New Zealand stand with our fisheries? Fisheries, Because we have a lot of labels that come out in the market that, you know, the products are quite sustainable, whatever um, products that you are that are available in the market is New Zealand standards are quite high. Is that actually true? And are we living to those standards and are we doing what needs to be done in protecting our oceans? No, we're not. And and I think one of the things that is um, really deficient in New Zealand's fisheries management is that we don't apply an ecosystem-based approach to management. We manage just for single fish stocks. And we manage according to harvest interests, not according to um, making sure that the ecosystem is still intact and that all those processes that um, go on in the marine environment, all the ecosystems and the spawning and all of that uh, stays intact. Um, one of the big, big problems, apart from this idea of just managing individual stocks, is that the fisheries uh, ministry or New Zealand fisheries as it's now called is so focused just on researching the individual fish stocks and setting limits which mean that they don't even start to move until 80% of a fish stock has gone and they don't close a fishery until it's got down to 10% of its original amount of fish and they don't do anything at all um, to actually think, well, let's not use the really destructive uh, fishing methods. And those are the ones that are mobile, that um, drag along the seafloor and that destroy all the creatures that are and the sort of three-dimensional habitat that's attached to the seafloor. And that's bottom trawling and quite a lot of the other kinds of trawling, like midwater trawling, but that does hit the bottom, dredging for scallops and that sort of thing, and what's known as Danish seining, which is uh, a sort of net for enclosing a whole shoal of fish. We just don't think about the ecosystem. With orange ruffy, for instance, it just turns, if you bottom trawl it, it turns these amazing collections of hydroids and corals and sponges and lots of different creatures, just turns them to rubble. And some of those are hundreds and in some cases thousands of years old. Even orange ruffy, the fish, is um, can live to 200 years old and they don't even start reproducing till they're 30 and the damage that we've done to that ecosystem is just huge and the fishing industry consists of some small to medium 
enterprises, but most of the fish and most of the damage is done by bottom trawling or dredging. And most of the bottom trawling is done by about uh, five or so big, big companies. And each one of the ones that goes and fishes overseas in the um, international waters, each of them has been prosecuted for violating the rules um, in the last sort of 18 months. And yet we still issue permits to them. And people are still letting um, this bottom trawling go on. And it's the most destructive thing you could think of. And combined with pressures like uh, sedimentation from our bad land uses and the, the changes induced by methane, which we produce from dairy cars that then heat the water, um, the sea, and, and we end up with ocean acidification, we end up with all this massive set of climate disruptions, and that bottom trawling also releases a whole lot of the carbon that has sunk to the bottom over the millennia, and that then gets released back into the ocean, and so we're very likely making climate change much worse just from bottom trawling, as well as any oil they burn or what have you. Where do you think New Zealand stands um, if we compare it on a global scale and the kind of discussion? And of course, what everything that you've mentioned is quite alarming and that we only kind of take care of things when it's reached to 10%. Uh, and, you know, that's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Where do we stand if you compare it on a global scale? Are we as worse as, you know, the other countries? Or are we worse off? Or are we in any way progressing? What's the hope or the you know silver lining um, New, New Zealand has got this tendency to try to claim to be an international leader and it's just not <laughs> and we do that across almost any area of what we do um, what we're not doing is paying close attention to ecosystem needs um, for instance in the Antarctic and Southern Ocean, uh, in that jurisdiction, they say, okay, if a fish is prey, then they can be fished down 30%, so we retain 70%. If they're predators, then we, we can't let that stock go below 50%. And they also do require consideration of um, areas that need to be protected. We've been having quite a major campaign to try and get more protected areas um, in the Southern Ocean around Antarctica. Um, and a lot of other countries have got explicit processes for considering what's your fishing method. We don't, we just issue quota and say, go get them. And we don't say, actually, uh, you you know you can't use bottom trawling. Some um, countries also manage at a much closer scale, uh, so that they can stop really um, extreme local depletion. And all around New Zealand's coast, we find what are known as kinna barrens, which is because we've let so much of the snapper be fished out that we end up with these sea urchins or kinna 
um, removing all the kelp, and then that removes the whole basis for the ecosystem. Uh, and we're just hopeless at, at dealing with it. Do you think? Do you think there is? Um with the, all the campaigns that are happening, not just from ECO, but also from the other organizations to ban bottom trolling and seamount trolling. Do you think there is hope for that? Do you think that ban will come into places? Again, the same thing that you've done with the Antarctic uh, mining ban. Do you think the same um, results for that would be possible right now? I, I think it's possible, but it's a matter of political will. And ultimately it's going to take labor um, to stand up to the big oligarchic large companies uh, who have a lot of political pressure and a lot of clout, they make sure that they get um, the government or whichever party um, depending on them. And so it's going to take us New Zealanders to raise our voices and say, we can't go on destroying our seafloor just in the same way that ECO and um, many of us in the 70s and 80s said, we can't go on just clear felling our, our native forests. Um, bottom trawling is a bit like going to a forest and saying, yeah, we want to catch the birds, so we'll just completely crush the whole forest and catch whatever flies up. It's that crude. Very well said. Um, moving on to a few other areas, and in terms of biodiversity and biosecurity, where do you think New Zealand stands there and what are the actions we're taking? Well, on biosecurity, um, we've had, of course, some major um, biosecurity problems in relation to commercial production and obviously um, bovis, the, the disease that um, cattle get, um, was because of very slack um, practices in tracking animals um, on the part of some farmers. Um, and we spent a bundle of money on that. But the um, campaigns that have gone right across the country to deal with predators um, who will eat our, um, our lizards and geckos and fledglings and eggs of our native creatures, that has got a lot of traction and huge community buy-in. Um, what's much less well-developed, and I think the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment touched on this in a report they had, or did a report on it, which was the need to actually control invasive weeds. And that's something every one of us, especially gardeners, need to pay attention to because when people chuck their weeds over the fence into the council land or whatever it is, then those get, um, you know, they might take a few years, but they can end up being highly invasive. And we've got lots of weeds, but we've also got pathogens. And up here on the Coromandel, uh, where I am at the moment, we've got um, Karnaka dying off. We don't know whether that's myrtle rust or drought. We've got Puriri dieback which seems to be some combination of a mold and possibly more active insects. And we've got curry dieback. And the government is actually funding some um, work to control wilding pines, but there's so many other weeds, weeds that get into wetlands and elsewhere that we need to pay attention to. And they don't get that much attention apart from these major programs. And unfortunately, the government seems to 
think it's okay to raid the Department of Conservation's budget in order to pay for other things, like, for instance, having uh, cameras on fishing boats, which is very much needed. But it's a bit on the bloody nose to have um, docks budget being raided in order to put uh, cameras on fishing boats when the fishing industry should, in fact, be paying for that themselves. I agree. Um, I'm going to move a little bit more on uh, the open government partnership. And I know ECO has been working on this. So and just want to touch base upon, can you tell us a little bit more about what is the open government partnership and how does that concern um, the general public in that sense? Yeah, well, the open government partnership is something that New Zealand signed up to actually under John Key's reign, if I can call it that. And what ECO has been doing for many years, along with a number of other organisations, uh, Council of Civil Liberties, for instance, is campaigning for open government. And the Coalition for Open Government was spawned way back um, in the days of Think Big, and that pushed to have much less secrecy in government. And the reason for that was that, as they said at the time, um, open government makes it harder to govern because you have to reveal what you've been doing and thinking and discussing, but it also makes it even harder to govern badly. Now, we have that, that campaign achieved the uh, Official Information Act, which replaced the Official Secrets Act. Um, but we're still finding that actually there's a lot of stuff that goes on of officials who don't really understand the Official Information Act, uh, departments that play games to release the material after it's useful. And um, the Open Government Partnership is a, a group of civil society organisations, not just environmental ones, uh, working together to try and get government to implement a whole lot more open government. And this is very significant in the context of environmental things, including the um, revision of the uh, resource management system legislation and some of the new rules. And unfortunately, although we have this open government partnership with government, we're also seeing some of the agencies um, and ministers uh, putting forward law that actually cuts public participation right out. So there's a huge problem there. We're being asked to only talk about stuff at the very early stages when you don't actually know exactly where an activity is proposed or, or what its social or environmental impacts are. So yeah, there, there's a heap of things going on and ECO is um, constantly working across many fronts. I mean, with land use and all sorts of other things. And we also try and change mindsets to get people to realize that we've actually got to shift. We've got to go into a different gear in a sort of post-fossil fuel future and try to claw back some of the damage we've done to the planet and try and keep within the planet's um, limits. Thank you so much for that, Kath. I think that was a very insightful conversation and across all topics, and I'm sure our listeners would be very grateful to listen to this. And I thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. And if people um, do want to contact ECO, it's eco at eco, so that's eco at eco.org.nz.